Hi, and welcome everyone to podcast number five, Learning Educators podcast number five. We've titled it The Big Five, five WH questions. Of course, we're educators. We're trying to make links, make it personal, make it deeply embedded in our brain. So we thought we'd stick with the big five. So what do we want to do today with my friends, Carrie and Brianne and Paula? Well, we want to review the previous four podcasts. Where have we been in the previous podcast conversations about learning educators and developing a learning identity? So each of us are going to take one of the podcasts and just give a synopsis, refresh our brains. We know that when we have to recall from long-term memory, that productive struggle helps us to own it even more. So we're going to practice what we um, teach here. And then, you know, we've really been thinking as we're in the midst of COVID and watching our nation and the world respond to it, this is an opportunity that we have to reimagine, reinvent, and to reemerge as educators. And what does that mean as learning educators? So we're also going to take a look at the where do we go from here? What is it? Um, what is what does it mean to be a learning educator? And what are those pieces? And then we're going to look at the the how do we do this and why do we do this? And then where are we going to do this? So we're excited to be having these conversations today. And so if it's all right, guys, unless anybody else wants to launch in with this first part, I think I'll start with just taking podcast one and, and taking a trip down memory lane here. So podcast one was looking at risk-taking and transparency. And a lot of us during that time together really shared some of our concerns as an educator, that we were supposed to be the repository of all of this information, that we worried about having to have the answer or be the um, expert. We also talked about as an educator, we valued and appreciated having autonomy, knowing within the domains that we were practicing our craft, we could make good decisions, that we would have time to be reflective and think about the practice. And that autonomy could help us to bring maybe more authentic learning opportunities for our students as well as for ourselves. But then in this idea of risk-taking and transparency, we took a look at the shift in the identity of a teacher's traditional role. And this shift in perspective that the teacher can be both a novice and an expert really requires kind of a shift in perspective and ped pedagogical strategies. So we sort of evaluated, were we willing to be transparent and say, can we learn? Can we adapt? Are we willing to try new strategies? And is the climate in which we work an area where we're afforded those opportunities to try out those new strategies and even to make mistakes? We talked a lot during that first session, first podcast of what was the best mistake we made and what <laughs> did we learn from it? In fact, we had several listeners who contacted us after that for first podcast and said, I'm still processing through this idea of a mistake and the benefit of it and reflecting back in my life and how that, that really did impact me as an educator. And so teachers engaging as learners and learning becomes a part of regular practice when teachers are working towards this idea of teaching how to learn and includes cycles of action and reflection. So I would say, guys, if, if my big takeaway from what emerged from podcast one was this idea of both and, 
And and Carrie, Brianne, and Paula, we we have another colleague at the the Johns Hopkins Community of Practice who loves to tell us yes and, yes. it's right so that we're <laughs> yes and so we're saying both and here, learning educators can hold dual roles, both novices and experts, and we adopt this learner identity and develop our expertise in crafts by engaging in critical learning, but also being aware of sort of the mental health benefits of the lower stress, not worrying about making mistakes, but being able to lean into the process rather than focusing on outcomes. So, you know, as we think about podcast one, gosh, that was way back in March and everything, you know, COVID was just breaking and happening. And where, where are we now? What, what have we come to next? So who's next in the, this? I think it's Carrie, you right with the, the yeah, next steps? That's me. That's me, Kristen. So, um, yeah, when you were introducing um, the podcast, I was thinking, um, I'm hoping our audience is, is affording us some grace and patience this morning as we also process and do this work. Um, I actually, I really enjoyed reading the recaps for the four episodes because it's been such an interesting journey. Um, we've been talking about these things for a while, but to see them in print in the blog and then listening to them again. So it's been, it's been really fun. So, um, to pick up on your sort of recap, excellent recap of, uh, of the first episode, we'll pick up on that paradox, right? That that notion that we need we need to be able to hold multiple things in our in our hands, and I think it's particularly relevant right now, Kristen, mm-hmm. um, as we think about the racial injustice that we're experiencing and feeling and seeing and witnessing, um, because it's not a binary, right? You're not you're not on one side or the other of this this really important issue. You should you need to be able to hold hold these multiple feelings and experiences and, and work through them in your own journey. So I think this is really continues to be relevant, right? Even as things change and get different. So episode two um, really dug into identity development because part of this work is really us being able to name and think about our own journey um, and what that looks like. I mean, I'm, I'm a mom and a teacher and a runner and, you know, it goes on and on and on. And um, I need to acknowledge these things. And, and one thing that we talked a lot about is this identity of being a learner, right? That, that oftentimes educators are, uh, I've decided it's sort of a, um, I don't know, sometimes it feels like it's this heavy, uh, I don't know, responsibility sitting on my sh- shoulder to be an expert in something, right? I don't wear that well and I don't like to be called an expert. And it's because um, I'm nervous about that and I, my proclivity is towards being a learner. And so I think our discussion in that episode was really around that whole process. And so we talked about our personal stories and and what kept emerging is, um, you know, it takes time. This is not something that happens overnight. You are constantly developing and changing as you go through different experiences and meet different people. And interestingly enough, that what happens, of course, to no one's surprise, is we often feel these these feelings of, you know, some the literature calls it imposter syndrome, but essentially it boils down to this notion of self-doubt and anxiety, right? You're always, you know, sort of worrying about things. So as you as you make these transitions, and I'm not talking about just being, you know, a student or being a teacher. I mean, this happens for everybody in different times in their life. Um, We talked about Schlossberg, who talks about transitions um, and this notion of at any point in your life as you're moving through change, um, you could be feeling these notions of discomfort and anxiety. 
Um, the goal, I mean, when we think about identity development, this goes back to paradox. The interesting thing to me, and I, and I think we talk, talked about this, is while you're feeling all of that self-doubt and anxiety and dissonance and just the, I mean, for, for a technical term, the yuck of that moment, <laughs> that mess is the moment where you have the most opportunity to learn. And so instead of creating these sort of detours and avoidance tactics, right? Because that's what we want to do. As soon as we feel discomfort, we want to figure out how to make ourselves feel comfortable. And often it's, you, Brene Brown talks about the ways that we react to discomfort. We move away from it. And sometimes we get really defensive and we act mean to somebody, right? Instead of just sitting in the discomfort. And so we sort of have to look at those moments and try to remind ourselves that like, that is where all of the awesomeness of the learning can happen, right? And something new can percolate. And so we talked a lot about that, I think, as a group. And um, I don't know, I don't remember who said this, but there was a part in the podcast where someone was saying that a mind that notices is a mind that can change. That is huge. What does that mean? That means that Give yourself a moment, right? Um, and I am not a, neuro, a neuroscientist by any stretch of the imagination, but there's things going on in your brain where when you feel those, those moments of stress and anxiety, you essentially are hijacked. You can no longer sort of manage and think about things in a logical sort of way. And what we need to do is adopt techniques and ask ourselves questions that sort of pauses and centers you and reduces that emotional anxiety so that you can take advantage of those amazing learning moments, right? Um, so, so part of this is us thinking about how we can help others and ourselves continue to harness that, that mess, right? Like being in the mess and then emerge from that mess, naming whatever it is that transition was and, and where you find yourself now, right? So you're coming, you're coming through. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, adding to something, it's reintegrating something. So it's, it, it could be building on something that was already there, but really naming, I'm feeling stressed right now. I'm feeling anxiety, attending to it by asking these questions that Kristen brought up and then moving through it, not away from it, right? Not, not turning up around, moving through it. Um, and discovering that that you can learn a lot from sort of tackling those moments head on. Um, because the other thing that I wanted to mention, because we did talk about this, is that if you don't attend to it, you know, there's literature that suggests that you start to feel shame, you start to feel isolation, you start to feel depression. And and for stu for our students, this is like withdrawing from a classroom or in in worst scenarios, you know, leaving a program um, because you can't manage those, those feelings. So, um, so that was really what we talked about, Kristen, I think in, in episode two, this notion, if, if I was following your lead with the takeaways, um, the one thing, the a couple of things would be that we're all, all experiencing identity development on a daily basis. It, it's not, it's not reserved to any profession or stance particular, right? Um, we know that this work is hard, we know that this work is really, really uncomfortable. Yes, and to go to Kristen's thing, we also know that this work has tremendous potential for huge payoff. And so the four of us have really been working hard on ourselves, but also how do we bring this sort of amazing benefit 
how can we help others do this work? I mean, that's really what this podcast in my mind is about. Like, how do we think this through? So, cause it's not easy and we all need help in our journeys. So, and I think I'm going to toss it to Brianne. You are. Yep. Thanks. Um, so Kristen talked about best mistakes and Carrie talked about jumping into the mess. And I think we can all relate to words like mistakes and messes. Um, which kind of teases up nicely for this idea of critical reflection. And that's what we talked about in our third podcast. And really we've been reflecting all along. Kristen reflected, I mean, this whole episode is reflective, you know, this beginning part. But what we talked about in that episode more specifically was that reflection is a tool for developing the learning educator. And a couple of things to think about related to that. First, you don't just jump into reflection. You don't sort of turn it on. Um, you kind of have to set the stage or develop a context and really critical to that is trust. And you know, we know each other and have kind of a common background, but we didn't know each other all that well. We sort of, you know, groups of us knew each other better. And I think we've developed this trust over the episodes and our, our prep for the podcast. And so now it feels like a more comfortable place to, to dig into that mess and to acknowledge our mistakes and to reflect back and to think about what those things mean. So trust is really critical. Um, and active listening is another thing that we have to do to. Um, to listen, to really understand the person and where they're coming from, as opposed to listening and then waiting for your turn to speak. Those are very different things. And another thing that we talked about, and this is so hard, I think, is to shift mindset about the role and the goal of reflection. So it, it's not just purely evaluative, and it really shouldn't be a, like a high-risk, high-stakes uh, endeavor, something that's you know, tied to formal evaluation. Well, what we're trying to do here is develop a place where reflection becomes critical as the process itself. So it's not just the outcome of the reflection, rather it's going through the process of uh, maybe coming up with a prompt and thinking, really thinking back to your teaching and then your, your moments and kind of coming up with those places where you felt like you did something well or you looked at something you thought you could have done it a little bit better and, and doing a deep dive into that moment. That's the work. It's not necessarily the, the outcome. And so that's tricky, I think, for, for us because we're so outcome focused. But that was a piece that we talked about um, in that third episode. And we talked about reflection in action and reflection on action. So reflection in action being that live reflection, kind of thinking, you know, in the moment, in the classroom, on Zoom, how can you make a change live? Read your audience and make a change that's really important and hard. Um, and then reflection on action would be more of a retrospective kind of look at what happened before. And I think um, Carrie mentioned payoff before, and that's something to think about. So this is not just an exercise to make you feel good about what you do. There is actual return on investment. So we're improving our ability to, to educate our students. I hope that we're modeling the power of reflection and sharing that with our students and saying, look, Remember when we did this the other day? I think I can explain it better. I think I can do something different to help you guys kind of get to a new place. They're not just learning the content, they're learning that reflection and action cycle, which I think is really important. Um, and then, gosh, thinking about, so when we recorded this episode, I, I re-listened to the episode in preparation for this and I, I was like a stressed mess because we had just closed the day before for COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, we had just pivoted, as we're using that word now, online. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I have no idea what to do. This is so crazy. God, <laughs> who would have thought months later we'd still be kind of dealing with this. But reflection is so critical. I mean, we talked about the, the phrase we used was critical reflection, but really it were and, right? It feels super mm -hmm. critical right now. And 
you know, particularly with all the things that have come to light this summer, I've been doing so much reading by um, authors of color, which I had not done before, and it's, it's long overdue, and trying to do work on that, and that just invites a lot of critical reflection on my work and myself and my practices. So there's that, you know, these issues of systemic racism that have always been there, but are now, you know, brought to the forefront. And of course, academically, our response to COVID. I mean, what does the fall look like? That seems to change every day in, in K-12 and in higher ed. So this idea of reflecting on kind of what's essential, this is what I've been trying to work on, what content-wise um, and beyond is essential, what is it that I really want to convey to my students and how can I do that the best? I don't think I can plan for the fall without a lot of reflection. And I'm, to be honest, I'm sort of still in that reflective state. I haven't made concrete plans for the fall yet because I'm still thinking about what it is that I want to do and how. So I don't feel stuck. I just feel like this is the place that I'm in and I'm going to shift hopefully soon in the next few weeks to actually coming up with a plan on a learning management system, getting some, some things a little bit more concrete. Yeah. So. Brianne, if I, if I could add something before we, we go on it, cause you made me, when you were talking, you made me think of something, which I think is really, I'm so glad you brought it up is, you know, we talked about mistakes and messes and not critical reflection. And I think it's good to remind our audience. And, and I would love for each of you to, to sort of comment on this is that what critical reflection really does is it, it helps to mitigate some of the discomfort that you're feeling in those moments. And what I mean by that is it's not that you don't get worried and stressed and wondering about whatever topic or process you're going through, but what critical reflection does is it at least gives you a set of tools to say, because like I can use an example with everything going on with the, the racial injustice there's been a lot of discomfort in my body about about these 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 um, things that are going on, and with my having practiced critical reflection, I can say to Brianne or Paula or Kristen, you know, I'm just not feeling very good right now, and this is what's going on. So I'm still I'm still experiencing it, but my own anxiety about experiencing it is is reduced, and I I just I just want to provide some hope to our audience that it doesn't always have to be discomfort you know uncomfortable and messy, but so. I don't know if you guys feel that way or Kristen, you look like you're getting. Yeah, you know, and, and Carrie, as you were talking and then listening to Brienne, while we sit in this, this mess or this discomfort, the yuck of what maybe critical reflection may bring up, there's also hope to that that I found within critical reflection because one of my mentors one told, once told me, and it stuck with me, you manage what you monitor. And through critical reflection, we are monitoring our thoughts, our actions, our biases, stereotypes, and, and we have an opportunity to better manage it and respond to it if we've spent that, that intellectual time to be curious about it, to ponder it, to be courageous and, and face some of those, those hard things that we need to be examining. So I see hope in the critical reflection as well as to, it's an opportunity to better help me respond to Brianne's point when I get out of the mess, right? You know, there's going to be a shift point in time. You've got to sit there for a while, but I see hope in it too. Kristen, you're always good for at least one awesome quote, a podcast. So I just wrote that, <laughs> managing what you monitor. I just wrote I that one down. I can step away so. now. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I, I drop the mic. So. <laughs> I think you're so right. I mean, the it, it takes courage, which is hard, right? But you're also doing it together. I mean, we at least have the benefit of kind of working through this together. And I was thinking about cognitive load theory the other day where 
you know, you can't, I can't take that away from you, but when we sort of carry it together and when we have discussions like this, it just feels lighter. And at the end, you feel a little bit more hopeful. Maybe you've thought of something differently or reframed because of a conversation that you've had. Um, and at the very least, you don't feel alone in the struggle, which I think is so important these days, um, you know, especially when we're talking about social distancing and isolation and we're living this unbelievably isolated life and we're trying desperately to connect um, and wrestling with such heavy things. I mean, really heavy. So to share that and to have, you know, kind of the friendship and the professional outlets to, to reflect together, I think is huge and really gives us the freedom and the hope to move forward. So with that, Paula is going to share <laughs> reflections uh, on our fourth episode. Yeah, sure. And, and I feel like the fourth episode really encompasses what it means to be a true learning educator because it was so unknown to all of us. And, you know, I, just to backtrack as I was listening to the little themes that were popping up, Kristen talked about mistakes and Carrie about messes and Brianne about reflection. And, you know, it, it struck me as those are all things that occur naturally. So they are how we're going to learn, but they occur naturally. And, and I'm obsessed right now with drawing parallels between um, like infant development and how the brain develops and learns and how that translates to adult learning. And there was a quote in um, a book called How We Learn by Stanislas Dehaene. And he talks about babies being budding physicists who love to experiment as long as they are allowed the time to tinker, build, fail, start over again, rather than be strapped in a car seat. And doesn't that fit with what we're talking about? And, and it's not like we've made it unnatural as an adult learner. We, we don't want to tinker. We don't want to fail. We don't, but that's how we learn innately. And so I think for me, you know, going back to this definition of a learning educator, that's really hits home with me. And, and, and that's what we have to become comfortable with and making the messes and the mistakes and the reflection the way we would do it naturally as an infant or as a child. And I think in episode four, it was really an authentic experience of that because we were faced with, you know, the reality of COVID and we were all in a new situation that we hadn't experienced before. In episode four, we did four little mini pods, podcasts, um, one on routines and flexibility, one on shared vulnerability and self-care, just flying the distance learning plane, which is pretty self-explanatory, and the one size does not fit all approach. And really what we came away with just to give you a synopsis of each one, in the routines and flexibility, um, I remember, Carrie, you mentioned your mystery block when planning your schedule for the day. And uh, Brianne, the no agenda agenda. And Kristen, um, you had mentioned your I wonder routine that you did with your daughter. And all three of those, and, and I talked about um, being good enough for now, you know, in, in terms of our instruction. And, and all three of those really spoke to the need for balance, right? So we have these routines that are structured. They're there. They're in place. They make us feel comfortable. But we have to give ourselves permission to be flexible and permission to go outside of that routine and just permission to say, you know, I don't know what we're going to do today, um, but we can fall back on the familiarity and we can be okay with just, you know, creating a new routine for our families. And in doing that, we were models, right? So we served as models for um, our children and our students and each other in terms of being okay to have that flexibility in our schedule. Our shared vulnerability and self-care mini podcast, the key takeaway from that was really this idea of making connections. So we talked about how we made connections with our students and how, you know, for a moment, even going back to that routines and flexibility, we have to take a break from, we have to get this done and hit the standard and do the, you know, these tasks. 
and we had to just say, um, what do our students need and how can we connect with them just on a, on a raw level and make sure that we're meeting their needs rather than this agenda that we had going into it. And really, when we connect, we share that vulnerability um, with the realization and we talked about the realization that our students do not always have shared experiences. So, so you know, even though it's shared um, vulnerability, I think Carrie, you had mentioned that it's very diverse as well. And so we have to make sure that, that you know, our students are, we're aware of their diverse needs. And, and really that took us into the one size fits all. And, and I'm jumping ahead to that fourth one just for a minute because um, in that one size fits all, we address those diverse needs. Um, Kristen had mentioned it's kind of like the theme of that, that mini podcast was input does not always equate to intake. And so there was your quote from that podcast, Kristen, as Gary mentioned. <laughs> Glad I got another one in. Yeah, you get another plug there. <laughs> and, and realizing that, you know, our delivery is not always met the same way with all of our students. So again, it's really about considering the needs of our students and, you know, really sharing those learning opportunities and, and going back to the root of why we're teaching. What is our purpose? What are our beliefs? Um, so we talked about those beliefs. And then the, the last mini podcast about flying the list, learning distance plane is really self-explanatory. You know, we shared our struggles and we talked about how overwhelming it was to fly the plane, fix the plane, build the plane, navigate the plane all at once. And really, I think, Brianne, when you talked about in that session, keeping it real, you know, it really focused us on this is the true authentic learning experience for our students. Let's name it. Let's be purposeful. Let's capitalize on it. And let's forget, again, those preset agendas that we have and focus on what matters most. And, you know, when this culminated, I really felt energized to like go into the new year and have a plan. But really, like you, Brian, I kind of feel like I'm at the situation where I haven't moved the needle very much. And, <laughs> and maybe it's because the target is still dancing around, like we don't have a plan for fall. You know, so I'm trying to prepare, well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if it looks like, you know, distance learning or partial, some hybrid model? And, and I feel like that maybe is getting in the way. But I think I as an educator have to just kind of slow down and say, all right, regardless of the model, regardless of what it's going to look like, let's go back to those key things that we are experts about. Let's just capitalize on our experience um, and let's move forward with what we do best and bring it to our students. And, and we're going to adapt and change. If we're willing to be true learners, we're going to adapt and change, you know, as the conditions change. Paula, what a great way to summarize where we've where we've been you know what have we been discussing in the previous podcasts and you know just like you said our discussions have included articulating these ideas about learning educator identity formation the barriers that we may have experienced the supports how our values guide our identity development carrie i love your line that you have this proclivity to be a learner and why that connects with my thinking there is that an important question I think we have to consider at this point is, is what is a learning educator identity? And what we seem to keep circling back to, and I've heard each one of us say it, Brianne, Carrie, you talked about process more than product. Maybe it's this compelling statement 
learning how to learn is a part of being that that identity of a learning educator. So, so what are we still working through, Carrie, with this? What is it, this learning educator identity? Give us, shed some light on this topic that we just are productively struggling with, wrestling with. Really? We only have like 20 minutes left. <laughs> do your best. And how am I supposed to cover all of that in uh, 20 <laughs> minutes? Okay, I'll do my best. So I, I have to say, like, I'm still stuck on Paula's notion of letting the baby out of the car seat. Like that quote kind of blew me away. Um, I think that's a really powerful visual and easy to understand. It makes a lot of sense. And so I think what we've been talking about out of um, these podcasts and, and reflecting on these podcasts is sort of, you know, how, how could we help adults and others and students sort of, you know, get out of that metaphorical car seat, right? And like do it with some courage and with some support, some scaffolding um, so, that, so that coming out of that mess, there is, you know, a reinvesting, a reigniting, whatever the, the word is, sort of like, you know, a newfound something that comes out of that mess so that your that anxiety and stress you were feeling wasn't for nothing, right, basically. Um, I mean, Mesero always tells us in reflection that, you know, we, as Paula pointed out, these things happen naturally. And if we, and if we don't pay attention to it, it just goes right by us and we don't learn anything from it. So we really do need to stop and and, and make a note of it. And so I think, the what, what, we, what we've been talking about is sort of creating some sort of, you know, flexible structure that could include things like webinars, coaching, either individually or in group settings, because while all of this happens naturally, we need to sort of hold space to attend to what happens naturally. Because as Paula really astutely pointed out, and I hadn't thought of it this way, is we really have been trained out of this process. Um, and, and for lots of reasons, accountability eras, the way that schools are, the way that we are just sort of in the world these days with the focus on outcomes, it really has been trained out of us. And what we would like to do using sort of an appreciative inquiry approach is to leverage what already happens naturally and talk through where do you notice that you are, it's easy for you to reflect and where do we notice that you struggle, right? Because I, I will bet dollars to donuts that everybody who listens reflects and they're aware of some of the reflection because some reflection, like if you, if you buy something and you, and for a moment you have buyer's remorse, that's reflection, right? Or if you, if you go, if you went to the beach with your family and you get home and you're thinking about all the experiences you have, that's reflection. So we're already doing this. And so what, what, what we're trying to do is figure out how, what works for you in reflective moments that I just mentioned, how we could apply those, those tasks, that skill to those moments that are very hard, that are messy, that your first reaction is to avoid. Because being a learner and learning how to learn, remember what we said at the beginning of this podcast, all of that mess and those mistakes and that anxiety, that's where the learning lives. And so to learn how to learn, you have to manage that mess. You've got to, you gotta figure it out. Whether it's family dynamics, 
a, a class that you can't stand, not, I don't mean your students, I mean a class you're taking, like is really hard and rigorous and it's really frustrating. It's something that's happened, you know, you're having a political debate and you're frustrated about it. All of that mess that occurs, we have got to figure out how to harness it and learn how to learn from it and with it, right? Um, because all those things we talked about, reducing anxiety, reducing isolation, building relationships, community, um, you know, academic, you know, intelligence, all of those things, your satisfaction, all of those things matter in that swirl of a mess. And so really to, to learn how to learn um, and going back to Kristen, sort of um, the notion of, you know, paying attention, the things you're paying attention to is what you're managing. If you're able to name the mess and manage that mess, you're attending to it and probably learning from it. And so we really feel strongly based on our own experiences, um, you know, the read of the literature and from talking to other people that some combination of, you know, webinars where you're able to do some of the learning that we all need to do. And then where the magic I think is really going to happen is in some sort of model of coaching. And, and, and that's really a, a sort of democratic approach to coaching. It's like we're, we would be in this <laughs> right along with whomever wanted to participate. Um, I said in the beginning, I don't wear the, the sort of label of expert because I don't feel like an expert. So I would be engaging in an exciting way as a learner right along with whomever I'm working with. Um, and I think that's, I think that's where we are, Kristen, and we've sort of played with some cool images that we're going to share on the NILD website to sort of articulate this a little bit more. But um, I think is that, I don't know if that gave you enough there, but I think Brianne was going to talk a little bit more about sort of the the atmosphere and climate that we need, but I don't know, Kristen, you think that's a good start? I think it's a great, a great start for us. Spot on with that. I mean, I love the learning lives in the mess. We have to harness it, learn how to learn from it and learn how to learn with it. I mean, that's, that's powerful. It's, it's dirty and we, and we want to get clean and we, and we want to, you know, be sparkly and shiny, but we, we've got to get in there. And, um, uh, one of my, one of my early mentors in my career said to me, Kristen, why do you always sit across from a student when you're doing one-on-one -on -one educational therapy? Have you ever thought about sitting side by side? Mm. And what that communicates going forward together in this cooperative experience, Carrie, like you were just talking about with that coaching piece that we are together side by side in this journey. What a, what a powerful thought. So, so why does the developing a learner identity matter? Well, we've talked about that holding a, a paradox promotes learning. We've talked about a little bit productive struggle, the mindset around defining a learning educator, but I think we've got to get to how. How do we do this work? And, and Brianne, yeah, talk us through, um, we, we have four, we've created an image. It's a collective effort with Paula's expertise at bringing these ideas and images into this just powerful um, <laughs> presentation, really, this, this idea. And, and it's probably a work in progress and may see some additional tweaks, but we're excited to share this with you. And um, these, these kind of four key words in learning educator, climate, clarity, cultivation, contemplation. And Brianne, let's, let's have you talk us through what do we mean with climate? How do we do this work as a learning educator? And what's the role of climate in this? Well, I think um, kind of thinking 
about the reflection that we were discussing before and then everything we've talked about you know, um, from that point forward, it's clear that you don't just jump into this. You have to set the climate. You have to have some context for kind of how this is going to move forward. And um, Carrie and I have been thinking a lot lately about questions and answers and the role of questions and answers in education and how um, students are trained to just answer questions that we as educators ask. But there's there's an idea, a notion of, of changing that, right? So learning through questions. And in order to ask really thoughtful questions. You have to feel free enough to do that. You have to feel like a trusted and valued member of a community. There has to be some element of psychological safety and kind of a climate of openness and curiosity. And that was really talking about uh, you know, a classroom setting, but I think it's really applicable to this context as well. And so um, that those ideas, right? How can we create a climate of openness, of curiosity, I think our conversations have been like that, um, you know, among the four of us in, in our podcast so far, and this is where we'd like to move, how we'd like to move forward is the idea of having some structure. So it's not just a total free for all, of having some structure, some guardrails uh, and some kind of purpose and intent, but there's quite a bit of flexibility within that because you wanna have the authenticity of a natural conversation. So maybe you come with a little bit of something or, or have maybe done some pre-work and reflection but then putting it out there. And I really wanna know what you all think of this learning situation that I found myself in, this teaching situation. Um, so having guardrails with, with some flexibility. Um, I think no one likes to dwell on their mistakes. That's probably human nature, but you know, we've said so many times today, um, you know, the learning is in the mess and the mistakes. And when you have a place that's comfortable where you can think back to those mistakes and kind of pull them apart, that's certainly where the learning will happen. And so that, that climate that we're trying to foster is um, one of openness and mutual respect and trust, I would say. Yeah, Brianne, that, that's a, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so glad we're all talking about climate because I think sometimes in a classroom, it sort of gets the short, short end of the stick, right? We jump right into content. And I, I just think, especially for what we're thinking about and asking individuals to take on, it, it is, I mean, I, I would argue that it's like, you know, more than 50% of the work is establishing that trust because the thing that we're trying to do together and with folks who are interested in doing this is that we create a safe and trusting space, psychological safety, so that you can practice being in this mess. Because the thing we don't want to happen, and I have seen this happen and I have heard stories and, and I have experienced that myself is, if you're in a setting with a group or a classroom and you're experiencing some dissonance and you get up the courage somehow with a group to ask a question or say something and someone snaps back at you and doesn't give you the response that you were hoping for, that can shut a person down for a very long time. And I think part of the what of this work is to help sort of I don't, this sounds so cheesy, but like build up your learning how to learn muscles so that when you're in those new groups and you need to speak up, if you don't get the reaction you were hoping for, you have enough resilience and gumption inside you and you can go back to your sort of trusted group and process it, right? But that's the goal, right? Is that like, we're basically like trying to make, a, make our work not necessary anymore, right? Because you can go out there and manage this on your own. So I just, 
I just thought of that, Brianne, when you were talking about that. So yeah, I love that. It's sort of this idea of like climate and community is a prerequisite to learning. And I really, I just found Bell Hooks. I don't know how it's taken me so long, right? Because she's amazing. Amazing. But I have this quote, I just pulled it up. So she says, I enter the classroom with the assumption that we must build community in order to create a climate of openness and intellectual rigor. So the community is first, and then we can have this openness and intellectual rigor. And she goes on to say, it has been my experience that one way to build community in the classroom is to recognize the value of each individual voice. I mean, Kristen and I are speech pathologists, right? So I love the voice to begin with. I love hearing different voices and I always have voices kind of in my head. So there's that piece, but of course, bigger than that is, is the voice, you know, and, and what people are wanting to say and what they're willing to share and creating a, a climate and a community where your voice is truly recognized and matters and is valued is essential and it has to come first. And, and neuroscientists, Carrie, to your point, and, and Brienne, to yours, neuroscientists say that, you know, there's no learning without separate from an emotional response. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, what, what goes to my head, and, and maybe it could be perceived as negative, but this idea of climate control, that you're sitting there in your doorway watching for those students to come in, in your proverbial um, space on Zoom, watching for the links to pop up and the, the windows to be there. But when I think of climate control, I think, as Brienne was explaining, there's a dynamic ebb and flow and give and take of the voices and the platforms and the experiences that work together to help develop that climate that's going to be productive for learning. So as we think about sort of our next loop within this learning educators, this idea of clarity, we're talking about climate, but we're also talking about process. Can we acknowledge this paradox of novice and experts? Are we learning how to learn from one another as we listen to the voices, as we value the experiences and backgrounds of each other? Are we productively struggling with challenging issues? Paula, I've heard you talk a lot about, I just want to be ready when I go back to school for being able to answer my students if they have any concerns about um, you know, the racial issues that are coming up and how am I ready to, to have those conversations, challenging issues in our world today and the leadership and the biases, racism, cultural differences, and then engage in that critical reflection and discourse. So process versus product, carry up. Brianne, you were talking about, you know, we think critical reflection is supposed to produce this product, but it's the process that we're valuing as we move through it. And then within clarity, we've got to have rationale. This, what are we trying to accomplish? What is the, the means to the end? Holding that learning educator identity important and, and making sure we recognize the means and what end we're moving towards. Like Paula talked about this end of school opening up in the, in the fall. It's a moving target. It's a dance. We're not quite sure what it's going to look like. And then in clarity expectations, we um, expect that mistakes are going to happen. We normalize that and that normalizing that failures are the best way to learn, holding that growth mindset, all individuals, myself included, giving ourselves that space to say, I can learn from these mistakes. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's an opportunity for growth. And then I think, Paula, were you going to talk a bit about um, cultivation or that practice piece? Yes, absolutely. And I I really like the term cultivation over the term practice, because I think when we think of practice, we just think of us, you know, going into our learning environments and doing what we do. That's our practice. And we're just going to do it. 
Um, but cultivation kind of has that sense of nurturing. And I think that's what this community is all about. Um, I was trying to just reflect as I listened to the three of you before I got into, uh, you know, what I feel in terms of cultivation. And, you know, it struck me that this community and the community we're inviting our learners to can be that, that substitute in the event that we have a climate, like you suggested, Carrie, that we we can't be trusted or, or we're not trusting. I remember um, one just memory that flooded back to me was being a new teacher in the building I'm currently in. Now I was experienced, but I was new to that building. And I remember the teachers, there's almost this hierarchy of, you know, who's not necessarily better than who, but the more senior teachers, the more experienced teachers, and they were really criticizing our colleagues and you know turning to administration to say they're not doing this and they're not doing this and we don't like the way they're doing this and i as an observer am like terrified of making a mistake in front of these people so if we're faced with a community like that and there's that competitive kind of hierarchical structure you know it doesn't have to be with administrations we're judged sometimes by our own colleagues right and so if we don't if we don't have that environment or that climate or a place where we can you know work with clarity this little community is a great tool for that for us to come to and, and process as we stated. Um, but the idea, going back to that idea of cultivation, I've, I feel that it's more about our pedagogy than it is about our resources. Let me just unpack that a little bit. Sometimes as teachers, we're willing to share, right? Our practice, we, we know that we have to work together. So we share resources and um, we share lesson plans, and but we don't share our teaching. We don't share our teaching practices. And I think that's really what it comes down to when we cultivate. You know, we have to become better as learners. Um, there's an article in the latest educational researcher about, um, was by Lefstein and colleagues, and it's about a new proposal. It's not a empirical study, but it's about research on pedagogic, pedagogically productive talk. And they talk about how the fact that teachers learn from, you know, when, when I go into being a teacher, it's my experiences as a student. It's how I was taught in school, how I was taught in college, and that influences how I then in turn teach. Um, but we are more influenced by the talk we have among each other. And it's not always productive, right? So teachers go into the teacher's lounge or they talk about students or they talk about, you know, um, whatever happened during the course of the day that was probably more negative than positive, but they don't have that productive talk. And that's kind of the heart of what we're talking about, I think, in this podcast. And the cultivating is to be purpose purposeful, to attend to what we're saying and, and really treat it as a learning experience. So I know when I go back in the fall, you know, I'm, I'm going to certainly think of that time in between classes where we meet in the hall and chit chat as being more productive. What can I learn from this? What, what can I immediately share that occurred in my classroom um, that I can ask for advice for, from a colleague on? Um, what can I inquire about their classroom and how things are going and make sure that I have that focus of it being productive discourse. And, and that's how I'm gonna improve my craft. Um, just one final comment. We talked a lot about over the course of our um, podcast and today about the difference between experts and novices. And Carrie, although you claim that you are not, you don't like the title of being an expert, um, I kind of propose that an expert is different from a novice in that they know when they are a novice, right? So they know when to say, I don't know enough about this, or I need to ask questions about this or I need to learn. So, so maybe that's the differentiating factor. And so if we can recognize when we need support, 
when we need a climate, you know, of a community of practice, when we need that clarity and that reflective piece. That's when we're an expert is we recognize that need. Oh, I really like that, Paula. I'd, I like your operationalized definition of that construct, just to be a geek for a second. Um, <laughs> I think the challenge is getting the word out so that when that word, when I, when I would use that word in the way you just described it, people would get it. So that, yeah, that would be my hesitation. Um, I think the last sort of piece of our image is um, this notion of contemplation. Um, reflection does not begin with a C, so it didn't work with our alliteration. Um, and to be honest, we could have said critical reflection because there's a C there, but it's as we all sort of worked through this, I think the, the honesty about this word is that oftentimes when we say reflection, we get some eye rolling and some worrying and wondering about what that is because people have this, individuals have this this sort of view of reflection as writing in a journal and bearing your soul about, you know, I don't know, whatever you bear your soul about in your journal. So we tried to get away from that and, and, and picked contemplation. And, and we've already talked about, I mean, Brianne did a great job of, of talking about reflection in her recap of, of the podcast. Um, I think what's interesting about the contemplation piece of this, and I think we struggled a little bit in our diagram to sort of appropriately situate this word, is that it's a thing that we need to learn but it's also a thing that we use for climate clarity and, and uh, cultivation, right? Because, um, you know, Kristen's point with respect to um, thinking about emotions and how they filter what we learn. I, I was listening to the Mark Brackett book about um, permission to feel, and he says this, right? And I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but um, as much as I work on community, I don't know that I had articulated either out loud or in my brain that real connection with emotion and sort of how we filter. I always knew, I always understood the sort of di differentiation that people take things in differently, but I hadn't made that strong connection. And I think if we want to create these climates and have clarity, reflection always has to be a part of that, right? Like to, to get our students to admit, to come into a classroom and admit they're having a really crappy day and admit that that experience and that feeling is going to impact how they're going to learn today. And for the teacher to be okay with that, that, that requires reflection on everybody's part, right? To be able to admit it, to talk about it, to process it. For a teacher to be transparent about the work that's going to happen, they have to be doing their own work in reflection. Um, and then, of course, Paula, to your point about sort of pedagogy versus resources, I mean, there's a lot of reflection that's happening individually and at the group level. So, so I think in going back to the what with these sort of webinars and coaching, I think part of our work is re <clears throat> really making reflection access accessible and easy so that when we say reflection, as Paula pointed out with the word expert, when you hear reflection, you have a set of tools, right? You have a way, and it's not one set of tools. We, we can present a process, and then the idea is to adapt it to who you are, who you are as a learner, as a person. And the, and the great thing is about reflection, and this is true, in the literature, some authors give you three steps, some give you 10, some give you 14, right? So there's already really good examples of how you can do this work. So that's part of the what. And then the other part of the what is, as you're working on these other pieces of climate and clarity and, and cultivation, is using 
the con contemplation, right? And noticing that you're using the contemplation and, and this is going to sound really cheesy, is reflecting on the reflection, right? I mean, that's the way you learn is to like do some of the reflection and then think together about how that went. What, what did you struggle with? What was hard for you? What worked? And so um, I just think reflection is everywhere in this work that we want to do. And I hope, I really hope, and I think this is why we decided to do this podcast this way is we hope that our audience is noticing how much we are always reflecting um, and we are always trying to learn and dig in. And I mean, I'm so grateful for my three colleagues on this podcast because they have pushed me to think about things in different and new fun ways. I mean, I can always count on Priyam, Paula and Kristen to say something that just like blows my mind. And I like think differently for the rest of my life because that, that happened. And so I, I'm very much appreciative that they value this reflective process and contemplation um, as much as I do. So yeah. Well, and, and Carrie, that's what, it, Kristen, in terms yeah, of the diagram. Yeah. And, and we're not going to, we're not going to um, divert from our typical way of closing the podcast with letting Paula get her <laughs> final statement in. So, so I'll do this right before that final statement, but when are we going to do this work? Well, I think what you've seen us do together is really walking out in front of our listeners, this coaching model of, of being together and coaching one another and having these conversations and engaging in this reflection. And so as we think about our next steps or our call to action, um, when are we going to do this work? We've been asking ourselves that question. When are we going to do this work beyond the four of us and invite others to participate? So we're thinking, um, uh, we're thinking formally and informally about that. We're, we're developing structure so that it would make sense to invite thought partners to come along with us in this journey of doing the work of um, really just coaching one another and digging into the trenches and the methods of doing that. So stay tuned for it. It's coming. Um, but we invite you in the interim to begin or continue doing some of the work of the critical reflection, establishing the climate, um, engaging in clarity of what those expectations are, cultivating your pedagogical practice, and, and really contemplating it. So Paula, we're going to leave you with the final line, our friend. What do you have for us? Get ready, ready to blow our minds. Oh, right, right. Okay. Are you ready for this? So um, going back <laughs> to like just this whole podcast about revisiting who we are, what we do, why we do it, how we're going to continue to do it. Um, so I had this image of an educator as a computer. Okay. So at first glance, you might think, well, the computer is a rather, you know, stagnant kind of device, but when you think about all that goes into computing, so you have your hardware, your software, those things are not important. What's most important is the operating system. So as educators, we are the operating system. And what do we need to do to keep that operating system healthy, right? So we need to reboot it every now and then, and we need to update it every now and then. And that's what our work is going to be, you know, the, the crux of our work is doing that. And what happens then, we emerge as educators that are reimagined, reinvented, and we reemerge as better educators. Drop the mic. We just, <laughs> we just got to walk away. My friends, thank you for awesome podcast number five. I think five is the best that we've done yet in just really, hopefully, stimulating, encouraging, and um, 
yeah, just so cool to be be apart with you ladies. Thanks to everybody listening. Hope you're having a, a great summer wherever you are. You are often in our thoughts. We'll be in touch.